following program on WCBS is sponsored by Pair Core Solutions. Welcome to Gut Wisdom on WCBS News Radio 880. I'm Deidre Koppelman, along here with your co-host, John Gassman. A.K.A. J.G. A.K.A. J.G. We talk about topics every Saturday night to help you in your personal and professional lives. Gut Wisdom will make you think and will leave you with real solutions that come from real wisdoms. Gut Wisdom is radio that resonates. True? True. True. So, (laughs) do you want to know the secret that successful people never talk about? There's a secret. I absolutely want to know about it, and I bet you our listeners want to know, too. Hmm, what do you got? Well, tonight we are going to have a special guest with us who's hmm. not only an author, mm-hmm. he's also a martial arts world champion. That's right. We have joining us tonight John Graydon, the author of The Imposter Syndrome. He's been in uh, the Wall Street Journal, U.S. News. Mm-hmm. He's been on A and E. Just incredible. Very excited yeah. to so, have him here. So, do you even know what the imposter syndrome is, and what does it have to do at all with the secret that successful people never talk about? JJ. Well, I know what the pasta syndrome is. I eat a lot of pasta and spaghetti. <laughs> but before I share what the actual definition of the imposter syndrome is, did you ever get a promotion and you didn't think you were deserving of it? Me? Yeah. Actually, yes. Okay. Or how about if someone compliments you on your work? Have you ever thought they were just being nice to you? All the time. Well. So I want to tell you, there was actually a time when I worked for Doubleday. I was about, I don't know, 31 years old. And I remember I had been out of the job market for three years. You know what, Dee? Hold that thought. Hold that thought. We're running out of time. I know. But you're listening to Gut Wisdom on WCBS News Radio 880. So stay tuned. We will be right back after a quick break on news, traffic, and weather. Good. I have a lot to say. When you need to know about the rails, we've got you covered with up-to-the-minute transit information powered by Clever Commute. If you ride NJ Transit, LIRR, or Metro North, get the free Clever Commute app. Visit clevercommute.com. And keep tuned to WCBS News Radio 880 for traffic and weather together on the Ace. Welcome back, everyone. And if you're just tuning in, I'm Deirdre Koppelman here with your co-host, John Gassman, a.k.a. JG. Good evening. Good evening. It's Saturday night, and you're listening to Gut Wisdom on WCBS News Radio 880. It's radio that resonates. And if you're just tuning in, JG and I are really excited about tonight's show. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're always excited, but this is a special show because we're going to share a secret with you that most successful people just never talk about. Yeah, and uh, the secret is, can we have a drum roll? I can try. Okay, okay. nice job, nice job. But anyways, this, the secret is that most successful people feel like they're a fraud. Mm. You know, they're an imposter, they're a cheater, they're a faker, because they struggle to accept and believe that they're really deserving of the accomplishments or the achievements. Well, I experienced that, and as I we started to share my story before, before yes. you cut me off, JG, <laughs> way back when, when I worked for Doubleday Books, I remember vividly, um, you know, I got this job, I didn't, it's not, you know, I went through the normal interview process and was hired after being out of the workplace, actually, for about three years. I had taken three years off when I had my second child, mm-hmm. and... I went back, I got this amazing job with 10 direct reports, and within about a month or two, I was promoted, and I was promoted to now have another department, which was like another 10 or 12 people. Wow. And I remember thinking to myself, huh? Uh Uh-oh. 
they're going to find me out because I cannot figure out, first of all, why, why would I get this promotion so soon? I don't, I don't feel confident. And what am I supposed to do? Maybe do they think I'm smarter than I actually am? I really, really felt that really believed that. So you were questioning whether or not you actually deserved it. Yeah. And the truth is somebody actually said to me at that time, a very good friend of mine had said, you have something called the imposter syndrome. I said, what is that? And she said, it's this literally, it's a, it's something that's been defined by psychologists that, you know, you don't feel uh, deserving or that, you know, how people feel about you or the nice things that they say about you are actually, you, you don't own them. And I would say I have, I'm, I will admit this on air. Ooh. I know. Now it An might admission. be my therapy session. I think <laughs> I have had this pretty much forever. I, I, I really do. And, I, and I'm really looking forward to getting, getting rid of this. Getting to the root cause, <laughs> as we like to say. Yes. Yeah, so. Well, you're not, you know what? It's fascinating because you're not the first person when we've worked inside of companies that have felt this way. Mm-hmm. We, we've heard this before. That's true. And I, I do have friends, believe it or not, but I have no friends. Way. You have friends? Yeah, do you have I a do. lot of friends? How many friends? Can you count them on one hand? Less. <laughs> Less than five fingers. <laughs> but you know what? I do have friends that believe the reason they're doing well is because they're just simply lucky. Mm-hmm. You know, right time, right spot, the moon, the stars, everything aligned. And not because they were really good at what they did or what they do and, you know, that they work their butts off. Mm. So I think that's why tonight we're so grateful and honored to have with us here on WCBS News Radio 880, John Graydon, the author of several books, including The Imposter Syndrome. So exciting. Yeah. You know, I have, when this one friend way back when told me that they thought I had the imposter syndrome, I, so I read John's book many years ago And I have to say, having him here with us tonight and getting his wisdoms about many things, but especially, you know, while self-doubt is self-imposed and it's self-defeating and obviously so common for so many of us, I want to know and I want our listeners to know, how do we break through all of that and really own our own accomplishments? So to have John Graydon here with us tonight is a blessing for all of us. Yeah. So if if you are one of those people who say, I'm not good enough. I can't succeed. I can't believe it's me. This is go- this is perfect for you. So, with that, let's bring John on. John, are you there? I am here. Thank you very much. I'm hey. glad to be here. Well, we are. And I, and ex- I have insight here. You said before that psychologists <laughs> discovered this. I have the inside scoop on the imposter syndrome. Oh. That's I'm telling you, this goes back to the 1930s. You're not going to believe who brought this up first, nationwide, possibly worldwide. Who? This is worth a drum roll. Okay, wait, 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 here's a drum roll. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Who said I would never belong to a club that would have someone like me as a member? Martin Luther King. JF Kennedy. Groucho Marx. Oh, Groucho Marx. Groucho Marx? (laughs) Oh, you know, I think that was on Jeopardy. Was that on Jeopardy? You, You thought it was, I mean, you think it's really somebody profound. That was Groucho Marx blind. I would never belong to a club that would have somebody like me as a member. <laughs> That's the imposter syndrome. Interesting. It is, uh, it is really funny because obviously uh, he was very successful. And in, in they've always, when I say they, the pundits, the experts say that comedy comes from a place of pain mm-hmm. and doubt wow. and fear. But I just thought that was kind of interesting. I would uh, 
share that with your listeners. Interesting. So, question. Yeah. What motivated you, John, to write the book? The imposter syndrome. Well, as for most of us, things like this begin, the root begins in early programming as a child. And and I was raised by a loving family, but, you know, they were hardworking, but they were not teachers. They were they would scream first and hit second. Sometimes they would hit first and then scream second. But there was mm-hmm. never really teaching. But one of the lessons my father did tell me was that everyone hates their job, and you just get on with it. And that really bothered me from an early point in my life. And I thought, why on earth would you spend a third of your life doing something that you hate? And that was just kind of set yeah. back in my mind in my early childhood because my parents were – Really strict. I just went silent. I would go two and three days at school and not say anything to anybody. Hmm. Then my mom would say, "Did you? Did you? Did you make a friend today?" And and I would say, "I think so," because some kid looked at me for more than five seconds. I thought maybe I'd made a friend, but I wasn't sure. Mm-hmm. So I had a tremendous amount of self doubt. Incredibly shy. I remember we in fifth grade we had a play that I had rehearsed. I think I was a tree. But on the, the night of actually having to go to school to do the play, I hid myself in the bathroom and wouldn't come out for three hours. So it was really debilitating at a very early age. And all of that change or started to change when I saw a TV show called The Green Hornet. Oh, sure. And the Green Hornet was a superhero Kato. that kind of came off of the Kato, came off of the Batman thing. And of course, was, I'm sorry, I, wait, I just need to interrupt for one second. That was like, it, it, it wasn't on for that long, and you know what? It was one of my favorites. I, you know, J.G., green... John, just, just so you know and our listeners oh know, my gosh. J- I Bruce don't think Lee there and... is a character, a movie, a song, I don't think there's any part of trivia that J.G. doesn't know. I have no idea about the Green Hornet, but I'm glad the two of you do. So <laughs> so, so to let me know what you're talking about, and, and the rest well, of us they... who don't know. Well, it, it, it was a sequel, kind of a spinoff from the Batman series, and Batman had Robin, so yeah. I would watch Batman. And as a young kid, I was six and seven, we always related to Robin. How do you get that job? How do you get and when the Green Hornet came on, his sidekick was an adult Asian who was actually Bruce Lee. It was his first role. Uh-huh. And what was fascinating to me is that whenever he was in the room, he got the most respect. He was the smallest guy. He seemed like the skinniest guy, the lightest guy. But everybody in the room knew that Cato was in the room. He was the most dangerous person in the room. So he got the most respect. <laughs> I found that fascinating. So it was a very early infatuation with the martial arts. And I began training when I was a teenager. And, you know, even though early in my martial arts career, even at the karate school, they would call me Dumb John. So, Why? Oh. Did you um, graduate high school? I did not. Mm-hmm. I got my GED. Mm-hmm. Is that why they, why, who would call you Dumb John? There were some uh, higher-ranking belts. There was a very higher, uh, the hierarchy was really strict in those days. In fact, I've written another book about that experience called Who Killed Walt Bone? Because my karate instructors turned out to be international drug smugglers. Wow. And he died in a plane crash smuggling drugs. So it's all kinds of intrigue and excitement in that book. But Hmm. the the reason I'm going back to this point is that I took to the martial arts like, like a moth to light. Because, and this is a key point... We're listening. I was raised, like many people are raised, with a feeling of being out of control. 
Mm-hmm. I didn't have any control in my life. My parents were very physical in their punishment or verbal abusive so that I was intimidated, bullied, and, and I did not have any control. Then I started in the martial arts, and slowly, belt by belt, I began to get more control of my life, of my thinking, of my actions. Mm-hmm. And I started to actually do things. I got to the point where I could jump over people and break boards, and yeah. they were starting to ask me to teach. So now I'm starting to get this sense of responsibility, and then eventually they hired me as an instructor. So here I'm 21 years old. I'm teaching karate three, four hours a day. I'm making several hundred dollars a week. And when you're that young, nobody expects you to be successful. Right. So I could sleep in. I had the great life. It was easy to meet girls because I was on TV. I was in the newspaper. I was a black belt. But my buddies were all going to jobs they hated. Mm. They were always broke. They had to get up at five. And it started internally. How can you be doing this? How do you deserve to be able to basically play all day, go teach at night, go chase girls at night? And... <laughs> And get sleep in the next morning. So you, so so you actually started to experience the imposter syndrome, if that's what I'm hearing you say. Yes. In your early twenties, is in that correct? Early twenties, and yes. And I, I was, uh, I was a state champion. I was getting a lot of acclaim. So mm-hmm. you know, my my, my whole uh, self view, self image was going through a massive change. So. I, I was going to Gainesville to a tournament, and the day, I arrived the day before, and I actually met an ex-girlfriend for lunch. She was really intelligent. And I said, you know, my friends are working so hard, and they hate their job, and, and I sleep in, and I've always got money in my pocket, and I get to travel. How can that be? And she looked at me dead in the eyes. She goes, John, that's all you would accept. I know you. You wouldn't have it any other way. And it was really as though she gave me permission to follow this kind of lifestyle. And that uh, was really important. Right. So and then I, I, I a few want years you... later, I'm, I'm going to get to uh, the, the actual, the, the threshold point. I saw Paul Newman on TV in an interview. And he said to the interviewer, the host, I always have a feeling that someone's going to come through the crowd, grab me by the arm and say, Newman, it's over. Okay. Back to being Time out. Hold, Hold on. that thought. Hold yes. that thought because we're, we have to take a quick break and that is a great <laughs> place to take a quick break. So stay tuned. We'll be back right after this short break with more from John Graydon, author of The Imposter Syndrome and then some. And we'll be getting rid of some self-doubt for once and for all. Yes, and for those of you that are just tuning in for the first time, if you want to learn more about our program, you can either follow us on our website at gutwisdom.com, or if you have questions or comments or feedback, definitely email Deirdre at dk at gutwisdom. I'd be curious for our listeners, if any of you have experienced this for yourself, this being the imposter syndrome, not feeling worthy, not feeling, you know, feeling like a little bit of a fraud, you'll be figured out. I'd like you to email me. And those that do, I'm going to sort of randomly select uh, listeners that write to me to get a copy of John's, John's book, book for yeah. free. So you can email me at dk at gutwisdom, G-U-T-W-I-Z. Dom.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with John Graydon. The March for Babies is coming. It's the biggest fundraiser every year for the March of Dimes. This is Eli Manning. Walk with us for stronger, healthier babies. It's all about raising awareness and money to help end premature birth. Join Eli and WCBS Sunday, April 30th near Lincoln Center. To register, go to marchforbabies.org. Hey, everybody. We are back here in studio, live, in person, Deirdre and myself, you're listening to... <laughs> yes, we are live, JG. 
<laughs> You're listening to Gut Wisdom, radio that resonates on WCBS News Radio 880. And right before the break, we have been chatting with the author of The Imposter Syndrome. That's John Graydon. He's a uh, black belt, I believe, in the martial arts. A very interesting world champion. World champion. Mm-hmm. World champion. And uh, he was sharing a story just before we went to the break about Paul Newman. Yes. John. Paul Newman and I, we go way back. <laughs> we go back as far as me seeing him in this interview when I was in my early 20s. And I had a lot of success and I was confused about how on earth could I deserve this? How on earth, why is this happening to me and not my buddies? And then I saw an interview with, with Paul Newman and he said he always has the feeling that someone's going to come to the crowd grab him by the elbow and say, Newman, it's over. You're going back to paying houses. Yeah. When I saw that, I was floored. I said, holy cow, that's exactly how I feel. Hmm. And at the time, we, did, we, we didn't know it as the imposter syndrome, but it was the first, in a sense, um, realization that I'm not the only person that has these crazy feelings. And in many, in many ways, it was kind of, kind of liberating. And I started to, you know, to study and, and see patterns that kind of indicated that something like this was a little more prevalent than maybe I thought. And I certainly didn't have it identified as the imposter syndrome. But one of the things that happened that happens all the time is that you see people that are, their outer world is not really a reflection of their inner world. Their yes. inner world is full of self-doubt and, self, uh, and lots of fear. And their outer world is more successful than they ever imagined. And, we see that prevalently in Hollywood. Happens yes. all the time. So people John, work so hard to get successful, and then they blow it up with drugs and alcohol because their self-image doesn't match what's happening. Right. So is that where in your book, JG? What I knew you you brought this up earlier to me before when we, we were started. Talking, yeah. Right in the book, I think he talks about two minds. Yeah, John, is that what you're referring to? The two minds, and and if you don't mind sharing with us and our listeners. It's a little bit different. What I'm describing right now is more about a self-belief system where I, my outer world is not congruent with my inner world. And it, it, again, it, entertainers have a habit of, we see them rising to success and then they self-sabotage with drugs and alcohol. A friend of mine, Bill Wallace, who's a world kickboxing champion, he was John Belushi's personal trainer. He, he found him. Wow. He was the one that found him at the Chateau Marion. And it was a classic situation. When we talk about the two minds, however, we're talking, in, in, and again, I don't play psychologist. I'm not a psychologist, but I, I've done a tremendous amount of research in this. And the two minds are the conscious mind mm-hmm. and the subconscious mind. And in a sense, I like to think about the conscious mind as like an outer layer. Mm-hmm. It is observing the world. It's analyzing the world. It's comparing what you're seeing right now to what you've seen before and making sure there's congruency there. It supposedly is where your willpower is. <laughs> Interesting. Most of us don't have a whole lot. Uh, it's where you rationalize what's going on, where your short-term memory is. But the real power is in the inner mind or the subconscious mind, because that's where all your memories are stored. It holds and often hides memories from the beginning, from the time that you can start to formulate memories. It's all stored in there, and we have lots of evidence in cases of regressive hypnosis. That's absolutely fascinating to take people back to various times in their life, 
that in many cases on a conscious level, their conscious mind doesn't remember it happening, but the subconscious is like a 24-7 recorder, and it's recording everything that happens. And its job is to kind of preserve yeah. and protect you, so that's why sometimes it takes bad memories and hides them away from you. Yeah, totally. And, le- and let me interject a point yeah. here, John mm-hmm. Graydon, and this goes back to, and I, I don't know if we've spoken about this before, Deirdre, but... What? Belief, mindset, behavior. We have. Right? With uh, Mary Lore, is it? Yeah. Her book talks about how people have these things from the past. Right. Well, they, sh- um, John, similar to what you're saying, there's uh, this concept of our minds or our subconscious minds being almost like a, a CPU, a, a computer, where when mm-hmm. you have a thought, uh, which is a belief, right? Every belief is a thought. And, you know, you sort of go into this autopilot of, you know, reaching down into this subconscious that we have in this in nanoseconds and start going back to things that we don't consciously remember, but yet have stored up. And it's like stored up documentation and evidence that tells us our belief is correct when, in fact, it may not be. It's a great point because it really does determine your program. And that's exactly what it is. The CPU is a great analogy. Because it's really garbage in, garbage out in many ways. So what is, what is, what is, what is, I'm sorry, John, what is programming? Well, it's it's just as you described, it starts very early in your life. And the influences around you, what you see, what you hear, what you experience, formulate your worldview. They start to program to you. And Aristotle was the first one, I think, to, he had the tabulusa idea, which is basically we all start with an empty slate. Mm -hmm. And what you experience, what's entered into your mind, and typically goes past the conscious mind into the subconscious mind, that the CPU becomes our program. And it really shapes our worldview. Mm -hmm. And it's it's important to know this because your worldview may not be serving you too well right now. And that programming (laughs) is really important. And I go back to the example of my buddies when I was teaching karate. My father told me that, you know, everybody hates their job. Well, I didn't hate my job, so right away I was going against the programming. Right. But my That's friends, true. you know, my, my best friend, he used to always say, when are you going to get a real job? <laughs> his father had programmed him that a real man works with his hands. And he was a he was a lineman for the county, worked for the power company. Interesting. And has forever, and he hated it. And I love what I did, but it's completely different programming. I was able to sure. overcome the programming of my parent, my, my, my father, and uh, he he stuck to this day to his um, mind into the county mindset. That was his worldview, and you know I respect him, I love him. It's his his view of the world, but clearly it was a programming related issue. Yeah, it's so so. It's almost like labeling. Like think about even if not from your parents, which are obviously significant significant influence when we're you know from day one, right? But think about even as you go through elementary school and middle school and high school there's programming that happens there too there's programming that happens from the teachers to you right they're the ones that sort of give you the they think you're so smart or they think you need a lot of help or the kids that throw things at you that bully you that so all of that combined i guess is programming that we just carry with us so so let me let me say something here yeah. because as i think about this how many times do we hear people who say or, or think, I don't measure up, I'm incompetent, I'm slow, I'm stupid, I'm a loser, uh, not for me. And that's because they have this chronic habit of putting themselves down um, that they really need to 
find someone or something to help them get out of their own way. Well, I that's a good point. And John, and, you you had something in your book that we JG and I I mean I when I read this many years ago, it didn't impact me because it didn't, but now it does because you talk about something called hardwiring, which is adjacent to programming, right? Although the programming is from external forces, we'll call it parents, significant others, other influencers. But hardwiring, you took an assessment called a Colby, and you are a 6373. Is that correct? Oh, man, am I ever. (laughs) So, so John... You you can explain what the Colby test is better than I am, sure. John, I am a 5491. Five four nine a one a nine yes uh-huh. and my soul be over here JG is a what are you a five five nine one no I'm really like a five three nine okay one. so our listeners have no idea what this is but as it pertains to hard wiring you're right John there are only six of us in the entire state of New York that are Colby certified experts and I am one of them and I've probably done well over two thousand Colbys. So How what? Is, so yeah. what? So wait. So so what is <laughs> we're the talking hard, about the Colby? What is hardwiring? And, and, and what is g- the Colby? And we're going to give some away for free listeners, just so you know. But go ahead, John. How did the Colby? Well, but actually, you? I, I would, if you would define Colby first for this, and, and uh, this was really big for me. I, I can't emphasize how huge this is. Why I put it in the book? It made a huge difference in in me understanding who I was. So mm. what is the Colby? Your natural tendencies. It's the test that you take. That reveals what are your natural tendencies. Is that accurate? Uh, the best way to describe the assessment is yes, other other yes and right. <laughs> the way the best way to describe it is if you think about the cognitive part of our mind, that's how we think. Mm-hmm. And if you think about the, the affective part of our mind, it's all about the feelings and the characteristics and extroversion and emotional intelligence. If you think about the conative part of our minds, it's how we're hardwired to do. So those are how we're hardwired to do. There's no right or wrong way. Those are Mm -hmm. unique abilities that we bring to a table where you want everybody to have unique abilities because that's what creates synergy. Otherwise, you have cloning. So in our work with uh, business owners, leaders and employees of these companies, you know, we decided to start bringing this assessment out to the population because the younger you are and the sooner you know what your unique talent is, well, then you follow that. But so many people, we when we're young, we don't have the words to articulate uh, creativeness. And that that's where you think everybody else is like that. You don't know where, why you're different. That's you don't have the words, point. right? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point for me. Taking the Colby test really helped me to understand who I was naturally. Because I've never been really organized. I was, you know, I've, I've taken a bunch of. I could see that in your Colby score. Get... <laughs> <laughs> so, so when I came back with a three in detail and organization, it was liberated from it. It was like, yay! Now I know why. Exactly. So wait, hold that thought for one second. Mm -hmm. Hold that. Because if our listeners are thinking, hmm, how do I find out what my unique abilities are? I want you to email me now, not if you're driving, but email me at dk at gutwisdom, G-U-T-W-I-Z-D-O-M.com. And I'm going to pick the first five because it's expensive, but I'll pick the first five listeners that email me and I will hook you up and also give you a free interpretation of your 
unique abilities. Wow, that that, oh, that that's really huge. Nice. We we char- you know how much we usually charge for that to go through the assessment and the interpretation? It's money, but it's, it's worth it. It to me it's, this is it's a real worth value. it. And John, you definitely affirm that because that was a big turning point for you. Oh, it was great. It, well, what, I, what I discovered at, at the time when I took the Colby test, I was pretty successful. I had my association going. We were doing well. I had a staff of about 15 to 20 people. And what I realized was, you know, when I go into a meeting, I'm a creative guy. I'm a visionary kind of guy. I like to sit down. So in my meetings, I would say, okay, I want to have this magazine. I want it to be full color. And it's going to go up to every martial arts school in the country. It's going to, and right away, certain people would always start asking me questions that I didn't have the answer for yet. Mm-hmm. They would drill down to the minutia. What's that going to cost? What's it going to be per, you know, what's the cost? How's it and the <laughs> All the yucky that, questions. <laughs> exactly. So the detail, which are important, but what I realized was in those early stages of creativity and, and, and molding a creative idea into something real, I would leave them out of the meeting. Uh-huh. I would just work with the people that kind of shared my natural tendencies sure. for vision, yep. put, put it together, and then I would call, pull those guys in when we were further along so they could ask their questions, I'd be prepared to answer them, and we could actually have a more productive meeting. So it was really a, a game changer for me in terms of self-image and self-understanding. So, so I highly recommend the Colby. Holy cow. So let me ask you a question, John. Is is perception really reality? When you talk about pers- perspective and perceptions, is perception reality? It is, but it has to be weighed against judgment. And, and that's really important. Perception to the person who's perceiving something, it's their reality at the time, but it, it does not mean that it is the true reality. And that, here's a quick story that illustrates that. It's in the book. When I was a, a young black belt, we would go to tournaments every weekend. And in those days, in the 70s and early 80s, there were big racial tensions in Florida and the South. So you'd have schools that were predominantly black and schools that were predominantly white. And the fights would get pretty heated. This one guy from... From, from Miami would bring a bunch of kids to the tournament. The black guy come inner city. He'd bring a van full of kids to the tournament, and they would compete. And if he didn't win, and he thought maybe he had been ripped off, he would throw trophies across the room. He'd scream and yell and throw a big temper tantrum. We thought it was the most disrespectful thing we'd ever seen. Wait, hold that, for, hold Wait, that hold thought. Hold that thought because we have to take a quick break. We're sitting here, we're watching the clock. We're saying, "Oh my god, oh my god, we want to hear this," but we have to go to a break. And I know our listeners want this to come back and listen. Back we're coming back after news, traffic, and weather. You're listening to Gut Wisdom Radio that resonates on WCBS News Radio 880. Stay tuned. We'll be back with John Braden. The WCBS Small Business Breakfast is coming fast. Don't miss former White House Press Secretary Ari Fleischer. I used to tell myself at the White House that every day is a crisis. A crisis is routine, so I'm just having another routine day. Ari Fleischer is now a business owner, and he'll share with you his unique view on the challenges of growing a business. Plus, he'll take your questions. Join your host, Joe Connolly, Tuesday, March 28th in Tarrytown. Sponsored by Osborne Home Care. Lock in your seat right now at cbsnewyork.com slash business. We're back, and you're listening to Gut Wisdom Radio that resonates. I'm Deirdre Koppelman here with your favorite co host, John Gassman, aka JG. It is Saturday night, and if you're just tuning in, JG and I have been having the most amazing chat with author and world champion martial, in martial arts, John Graydon, who's teaching us a little bit more. We were just uh, chatting about perspective and perception, and is perception reality? Mm. So, John. 
Well, the story that I was sharing, as a brief recap, is that in the days of the 70s, at these tournaments we'd go to every weekend, this one guy would show up from Miami, inner city Miami, with a van full of kids. And he would get so upset if he did not win the championship every weekend to throw chairs and throw tables and, and cause all kinds of problems. So we just thought he was the most disrespectful, rude black belt we'd ever seen because the martial arts always emphasizes respect, courtesy, and decorum. So we sure. fast forward 25 years and we're interviewing him for my magazine, Martial Arts Professional. And it turns out that every weekend he would fill his band up with kids in the streets that he'd taken off the streets into his karate school and do his best to get him them out of inner city Miami for the weekend and mm. take them to a karate term. So he took those kids out of harm's way for at least that day, that Saturday, and sometimes the entire weekend. And if he didn't win the tournament, he didn't have the money to feed the kids or to give them gas wow. to fill the van up to go back to Miami. That's amazing. So it was an amazing story. The guy is a, uh, Truly, our perception was not the reality at all. So, as I said earlier, the idea that perception is reality really has to be weighed against judgment. Right? And, and the, the flip side is, and we go back, we talked about the outer mind and the inner mind. The conscious, that was a conscious decision. We looked at him, analyzed it, and consciously said, that guy's a jerk. Obviously, we found out later that wasn't the case. On a subconscious level... Here's a great example of how the subconscious mind creates these reactions. If you've ever been in a room and jumped in re response to seeing a reflection in the mirror, that's not a conscious decision for me. You know, I instantly get into some kind of karate stance because I think somebody's going to jump me. And it's just my reflection in the mirror, and that is part of the subconscious mind working. It does it completely without thinking. And I think in the end, it's becomes a matter of looking closely at your current worldview and your beliefs, determining how these worldviews and beliefs are serving you now, mm -hmm. and understanding that your beliefs hopefully will evolve over time. Mm. And John, John, taking that inventory of your worldview really helps a lot. You, you are so amazing. Where can our listeners find you and find out more about your courses on self-defense and the books that you've written? JohnGraden.com, J-O-H-N-G-R-A-D-E-N.com, is a good central locator. We do a lot of self-defense seminars these days for active shooters and anti-bully. And a lot of this actually works into the bully program that we teach. There's a tremendous amount of um, uh, the imposter syndrome, mm -hmm. at least some of the lessons in the book that is, are contained in our bully program. So well, we, we enjoy it. I'd love to hear from the listeners. We, we have enjoyed speaking and having you speaking with us and our listeners, and absolutely we'll, can, we'll be talking about uh, bringing you back to talk about a whole – there's just so much content to talk to you about. And so thank you. And it, by the way, listeners, if you've missed the beginning of tonight's show, you can either download this show and obviously previously aired shows uh, by either going to our website, gutwisdom.com. Uh, or you'll find us on iTunes or Play.it. So you can hear if you missed anything tonight because it was amazing. And of course, if you're interested in getting a free book, a free copy of John Graydon's The Imposter Syndrome, I'm feeling very generous because I always do. If you email me at dk at gutwisdom.com, G-U-T-W-I-Z-D-O-M.com, 
I'm going to select a few winners. I can't give one to everybody. Uh, <laughs> you would, though, if you I could. I would if I could. That is for sure. And also, if you're interested in taking that assessment that we were talking about in terms of unique ability, I will uh, certainly be happy to give an assessment to the first five people that email me and a free interpretation of that assessment as well. So what wisdoms? So, I know we've got a lot. I was just of, about to say, uh, let's, I know, we have let's wisdoms, get to JG. the wisdoms. Go for it. You know, how do we conquer self-doubt? And boosting your self-confidence. And as a plug to John Graydon and the martial arts, uh, and it doesn't matter what kind, whether it's Taekwondo, Judo, Karate, Kung Fu, or whatever, those are all incredibly effective ways for Mm -hmm. developing self-discipline and self-confidence. So that's the first wisdom that I would quickly share is this could work wonders, uh, taking some sort of martial arts uh, course or curriculum. But let me get to uh, the main ones that I was thinking about. Overcoming self-doubt, is, as we've seen in the imposter syndrome, requires self-acceptance. Yeah. You know what I mean? So remember, you don't have to attain perfection, right, to be worthy of the success that you've achieved and or any of the accolades that you've received along the way. So, so true. So I think, number one, Accept self acceptance. I would agree is with key. you. I think that's such a good wisdom, JG. And I would add to that yes, and yes, and yes, and own your successes. You know, you didn't just get lucky. Many, many high achievers, you know, we focus on what we haven't done or what we haven't accomplished yet, but you have to look at where you're measuring from. Are you looking at where you aren't yet? Or why not maybe take a look in that rearview mirror and say, wow. Look at how far I've come. Yeah. So I would add I would add that. That is a wisdom. And I and I love that whole point of how do you measure? Always look backward and measure how far you've come versus how far you have to go. Yeah. And that keeps you out of the gap. Definitely. So totally on that. And one of the other things that I'll add to your point of your own successes, one of the tools we use inside of companies when we come in. What do we use? What's that tool called? Which one? We use The positive power-up moment. The positive, yes. Or positive focus. Positive focus. Right. It's recording achievements. It's looking at what, and that's the hardest, one of the hardest exercises for people to do because some, most of the time, the things that we're achieving, not that we take it for granted, but we just expect, well, that's my job. That's what I'm supposed to do. And we don't necessarily see achievements as being achievements. That's part of... (laughs) How hard are we on ourselves? Yeah, wake up, make your bed in the morning. That's an achievement. That's well, how you get going. For some of us, JJ, I yeah. do that every morning at 5 a.m. I would not look at that as an achievement. Number three <laughs> on the list. <laughs> Brum-bum. Number three. Um, let's, here, here's a good one also. Don't compare yourself to other people. Mm. And I think a lot of us fall into the trap of constantly comparing things that we do to others, and especially comparing the weakness mm. we think we have to the strengths that we think others have. That's a good and, point. And, and that doesn't work. No, it doesn't ever. And to that point, how about take fear out of the equation? You know, playing it safe all the time, while it may keep us in a place of sort of, okay, all is good, you won't really ever know how capable and deserving you are of success sure. if you always play it safe. Yeah. So I don't think it's always such a good thing to play it safe. Yeah, one of the things I've noticed inside of the companies where you're working with some of the key people, you try to push people to do things that are somewhat uncomfortable. Oh, 
I love to have people walk in uncomfortable shoes. You know, when you walk in a pair of uncomfortable shoes, what happens? What do you I get? I get blisters. You get blisters. We all get blisters. Yeah. So uh, it is my it is my role in life to to help you walk in uncomfortable shoes, get some blisters until those blisters sort of become like uh, they're not blisters anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Forget fear. Forget yes. fear and think courage. Be courageous. Have mm. the courage to make a commitment to do something and then build your capacity of doing it well and and poof. Yeah. That's going to give you confidence. Yeah. You're right. Motivation, and inspiration, you, excitement. May I just say that when you said the word courage, I I saw you as that lion in the Wizard of How Oz. How did I know you were going to say that? I was just thinking <laughs> Courage! About that. Yes. Yes. And that also goes to my favorite, self-awareness. Oh. Know what your innate strengths are, what your unique abilities are. We all have them. Forget what you were told. Um, I, I could say some crazy things about what I was told when I was growing up and what my what my programming was growing up. But at the end of the day... I kind of have an idea of what my unique abilities are, probably because of the work that I do. And, and what and what did you offer? You offered the assessment. For the first five people that email me, not while you're driving, <laughs> uh, dk at gutwisdom.com, I will send you an assessment and I will give you a free interpretation over the phone. I promise. Oh, and by the way, don't forget, our what? book is out, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say no to drama. Say no to drama. Obliterate drama oh, yes, from, from your life, yes. right? From the... Playground you want to, to give the that boardroom. Away too, so We're not will... giving it away. If you want the book, go to Amazon now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's another wisdom, JG, before we have to go? Don't underestimate the power of self-doubt. You know, how often it is that, you know, ta- think about it. There are times it's only it's the only thing that really stands in between where you are today versus where you want to to be. Yeah. And it's, it's self-doubt and fear. Very much so. Very destructive. And I'd say get to the root. Another wisdom is try to identify the source of your self-doubt because once those, you know, those feelings are there for us to be, sure. for us to find them. Yeah. They're there and we have to address them and let's uproot those feelings of self-doubt. Where do they come from? What's the basis? What was that programming? Face it. Yeah. Get it and, out in the open. You know, we had Bob Colhin here, uh, what was it, last week on the show, and uh, we were talking about he walks around his office and he has signs, right? Four yes. post-it notes that say, smile. I know. <laughs> right? And and I put them up in my office. Did you notice today? Is that why you I were smiling? Around? Yeah, well, but I no, didn't do the hokey pokey dance. No, it's Saturday, so I didn't see you today, but that's okay. You can dream. But- Here's another one. What? Put a little picture of a stop sign uh-huh. on your wall. Yep. And ki- or put it on the back of your envelope, uh, um, your iPhone. And you know? it, what will the stop sign do? Well, when you keep it with you, wherever you can see it, it will help you remember to stop the self-doubt yes, from every creeping ta- in. Yeah, that negative talk. It'll say, ha, stop that. I'm not going down this road. And I would lastly say for the last wisdom before we have to go... If and when you do have a setback, because we all do, okay, and that's, you know, it's so easy where the self-doubt can come right back in. Remember, you're not a failure just because you experienced something that failed. Yeah. If you take chances, which we all should, you have to expect that they're not all going to be wins that we strive for. Okay, let's practice looking at what you learned from a failed experience. That's a wisdom. Just because something failed does not make you a failure. Sure. Right, J.G.? 
How many tries did uh, Thomas Edison go through before uh, he figured out uh, how to create the light bulb? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's almost time to go. Boo-hoo. Yeah, boo-hoo is always right when I have to leave here (sighs) at night. So I'd like to share with our listeners, and and again, for those of you who haven't listened to us before, this is Gut Wisdom, radio that resonates. Check out our website at gutwisdomwithaz.com, and uh, you could find prior episodes. You could find our book. You could even uh, check out our blog, which goes out every week, and we have some interesting wisdoms that we share. Uh, We've done episodes on things like empathy and bully bosses and culture vultures, drama in the workplace Mm -hmm. and in life, just to name a few of them. Yes, we have, and... uh we love doing this. So we have lots of l- free, right? Free, we like that, life-enriching giveaways for our listeners tonight. Life-enriching giveaways. Right? So wow. just just remember <laughs> to email me at dkgutwisdom.com so that we can give you some things that we know that you'll enjoy and learn from. How does that sound, JJ? I, I'm all in. Are Count me t- in. And what are we talking about next week? Oh, my gosh. What are we talking about? What generation is after Z? We've talked about millennials, X, Y. What's after Z? Guess what? You're going to find out next week. Yes, we have father and son duo, David and Jonah Stillman. They wrote the book on Gen Z. What could possibly come after Gen Z? Like what comes after? I think is of like a, a Google. One? I think of like Googleplex. You know what a Googleplex is? Oh, I think I do. Isn't that something like Infinity or something? And Infinity beyond? and Beyond. <laughs> no. Anyways, <laughs> big thank you to our listeners, our partners at WCBS News Radio. You've been listening to Gut Wisdom Radio That Resonates. Have an amazing Saturday night, and we will see or chat next time. Gut Wisdom is sponsored by Pear Core Solutions.